This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss how to have a healthy new year naturally with nutraceutical expert, Dr. Gordon Chang. We'll find out what the big deal is about acceptance with mindfulness expert, Tracy Sograti. We'll learn about what it means to say yes with peak performance coach, Hina Khan. And lastly, we'll talk about healthy-ish baking hacks with cookbook reviewer, Naomi Bussin. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. Although it may feel differently to you, a study out of the University College of London found that people sleep less in mid-adulthood than they do in early and late adulthood. Sleep duration declines in early adulthood until age 33 and then picks up again at age 53. The researchers say the decline in sleep during midlife may be due to demands of childcare and working life. New research from the University of Copenhagen suggests that a portion of the Danish population has a composition of gut microbes that on average extracts more energy from food than do the microbes in the guts of their fellow Danes. The research is a step towards understanding why some people gain more weight than others even when they eat the same food. Numerous studies have shown that health benefits of time-restricted eating include increase in lifespan in laboratory studies making practices like intermittent fasting a hot topic in the wellness industry. However, exactly how it affects the body on a molecular level and how those changes interact across multiple organ systems has not been well understood. Now, Salk Institute scientists show in mice how time-restricted eating influences gene expression across more than 22 regions of the body and brain. Gene expression is the process through which genes are activated and respond to their environment by creating proteins. The findings, published in Cell Metabolism on January 3rd, have implications for a wide range of health conditions where time-restricted eating has shown potential benefits, including diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, and cancer. That was your Tonic Quick Shot. I'll be joined by Dr. Gordon Chang in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. I'd like to give a shout-out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian-owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. 
Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings, and he's a regular on the show. Welcome back, Gordon. How are you? Very good, Jimmy. And how have you been? How was uh, your holidays? Holidays are always a good time for me. I get to slow down a bit and I get to contemplate my plans for the new year. And lots of people, I think, use that time the same way. They use the R word, which I'm not a huge fan of, the resolutions. And there's lots of reasons for that. You know, people can be hard on themselves with goal setting. A lot of people look to weight loss as one of their goals. And your philosophy, I think, is not to do anything too extreme, but a balanced approach, right? I've always liked the balanced approach, but one of the things I, I like about resolutions, even though most people don't like resolutions, it's the ideal goal standard. Everybody wants that. And I always, my philosophy has always been aim high. You may not make it there, but you're going to be a lot higher than if you didn't aim at all. I think the goal is admirable. And I would encourage anybody to try and get healthier, whether it's weight loss or exercise or supplementation, whatever it is that you want to do. But I would say, keep in mind the process and whatever it is you're doing, just make sure it's maintainable in the long run and understand that progression is not linear and that you're going to have good days and bad days. And that's not a reason to give up on your, on your goals, which I'm sure are admirable. That would be my advice. For sure. And I, and I always tell everybody, baby steps. Exactly. Baby steps. Right? But we're going to talk about the nitty gritty today. How about yeah, that? For sure. Okay, so a lot of people are, are looking at weight loss. It's just inevitable. So how do we boost our metabolism to get rid of a bit of that weight in a natural way? Okay, I'm going to say the bad word, which is exercise. Yeah. Nobody likes that word exercise. But one of the things that people don't realize about exercise is that you got to start somewhere. Yep. I look at the guy who is pushing 80. Now, he's not going to go run a marathon, get his heart rate up to the point where, you know what, he can stroke out. But for him, an 80-year-old person, as long as they keep moving, right, and that is to keep the machinery oiled, you keep moving, those are some of the things, simple things, right? So something as simple as going out for a walk, mm -hmm. right, is a, it's a start. You've got to start. That's the key. You've got to start. Once you start, there are other things that people can do, right? Mm -hmm. There are cheating things that people can do. And I call it cheating because you can't keep it up forever, but, you know, you can take things that will boost the metabolism a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like a diet, for example, is a good way to do it. And one of the things is people don't like that word diet either. But it's something I think is short term. It is not a bad thing, right? But keeping in mind it's a short term. But one of the problems with dieting is when people go off their diet, they binge. Yep. So all the good stuff that they gain because of their diet goes out the window, right? And then there's studies to show that after after dieting and they lose a, a whole whack of weight, all of that weight comes back on. It's actually even worse than that. When you start doing the yo-yo, which is where you, you go on and off the diets, mm -hmm. your results from the dieting get diminishing returns. So, yep. so my view on dieting is if you need a kickstart, if you need that mental discipline of restricting certain types of food, whether you're going gluten-free or sugar-free or fat-free, whatever it is, God bless. But understand that if you're not going to stay on that diet indefinitely, it's going to come back on. So you'll have to have a plan B. Well, the problem with most dads is that a lot of people make it too harsh. Of course. And yep. you can never keep up with a harsh diet. My two cents has always been 
use common sense, right? If you normally would have three slices of toast in the morning with breakfast, have two. Yep. If you're normally going to slather the bloody thing with butter, put a little bit less butter. Do something that you can live with, right? So, you know, some of the things that we do also to help us you know, lose weight is something simple, as I said, like doing a, a, a cleanse, Yep. Mm-hmm. right? These things do help, but it's not the thing that is going to make you 20 pounds lighter. What's going to make you 20 pounds lighter is keeping up with whatever you're doing. And whatever it is you want to do, make sure it's something you can do without too much trouble. Agreed. So you mentioned cleansing. So what would be the benefit of cleansing in support okay. of, of losing well, weight? One of the things with cleansing, especially after we coming through the holiday season, we binged. Yeah. We binged on sugar. We binged on alcohol. We binged on calorie-rich foods, etc. Right? All of these things take a certain toll on our system because our bodies can only get rid of so many toxins at any one time, right? We intake alcohol. Alcohol, when you break down alcohol in the body, you ramp up toxin production, Mm -hmm. right? And then all through the year, as you're walking down the street, you take an extra deep breath, you know, all that car exhaust gets into your system, right? You know, the toxins from naturally occurring toxins, right, in the body also. Your body has a process to get rid of everything, to detoxify your system. But it's like anything else, it can only handle so much at any one time. Mm-hmm. Now, I know when we talk about cleansing, there are a lot of people, if they don't feel bad when they're doing the cleansing process, they don't think they're doing a the cleanse. Right. By that I mean some people, yeah. they do the cleanse and they say, oh, I'm doing a cleanse because I'm sitting on, on the porcelain throne, right? Yep. You don't need to be that extreme. Okay, mm-hmm. or, or you you praying to the posting gods, meaning that you're throwing up, etc. You don't need to be that extreme. You can do gentle cleanses, and basically a cleanse. What it is is to help your organ systems deal with whatever toxins you have put into your body. So the process of elimination of getting rid of stuff, right? First of all, you cleanse out the liver. The liver is important because one of the things it does it breaks down a lot of toxins. So if you clean out the liver. Right, you make the toxin breakdown system work that much more efficiently. Right. Mm-hmm. Next thing, you have to eliminate some of your toxins. So, some you need to do something to make you go to the bathroom on a more regular basis. Right. Mm-hmm. So you do your number twos. Right. Yep. That way, so when the liver breaks down the toxins, you excrete it out instead of reabsorbing it in the colon. Right. You also have to, to cleanse out the, the kidneys, so that that's another exit for a lot of toxins because when you urinate, a lot of it goes out, right? Yes. Now, again, some of the Eastern European countries, Scandinavians, etc., love to do the sauna because mm-hmm. you woke up a good sweat. Yes. Well, that sweating process also gets rid of a lot of toxins, right? Mm-hmm. And it's one of the roots of getting rid of stuff. It's definitely the sweat process, right? But what we find is that the type of sweat that you get from a sauna versus the sweat that you get from an exercise, the sweat is not the same. Yes. The contents of the sweat is not the same, right? So a more efficient way of getting rid of some of these toxins is to sweat from exercise. However, a sweat from a sauna is better than no sweat at all. Agreed. Something's right. better than nothing. It's the same thing as exercise, right? That's right. If you're just getting started, a walk is better than not walking as opposed That's to correct. as opposed to and running a marathon. you make it yep. into a habit, yep. it becomes easier to do. Right. So let's talk about sort of the mechanics 
of the cleanse and, and what's in them. So, like, for example, with the liver cleanse, what sort of ingredients are in the cleanses that you would find that okay. are... We use a lot of phytonutrient-type things in our cleanses. And the reason we do that is because the herbs have been around for a long time. Right? We didn't invent those. Those things have been around a long time. There's a lot of knowledge around how these things work. And what modern science has shown us is that some of these things work because they increase the production, uh, breakdown of the toxins, right? Uh, how do we know they break down the toxins? Let's take the liver, for example. Well, if you see an increase in bile production, that means you have increased the liver metabolism. If you're increasing the liver metabolism, you know you're breaking down more toxins. Right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the ways we know it works. But one of the things that a lot of people have to also realize is anytime you're doing a cleanse, you're creating a lot of free radicals because that's how the biochemistry works. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. And these free radicals then in turn can uh, cause damage to your organ systems. So what you have to do when you're doing a cleanse is also add components to the cleanse which will help protect the organ systems. Right? So there are lots of herbs that will protect the liver, for example. The classic one that everybody knows is milk thistle. But there's some other herbs called, like blepurium is another one that other people have used, right? There's a, there's a whole host of them that, that people have used. But you need to put a component there which will help protect the liver from free radical damage. Right, uh, and that's for most cleanses. You need something as an antioxidant effect. So one of the things that people will use for any type of cleanses is, you know, you take some antioxidants. Mm-hmm. Right, increase your your food sources of antioxidants, fruits and vegetables. Right, take a lot more fruits and vegetables. That's your natural source. But failing that, you can always get a, a, in a supplement form antioxidants. With antioxidants, again, take a wide variety of them. Just don't take one. The problem with one, not every single antioxidant will quench every single free radical. This is why I always advocate a wide variety of anything. You, you sort of touched upon fruits and vegetables a moment ago. And do you advocate for a particular diet if you're in the middle of a, a cleanse? The cleanse is not going to be something that you're going to do for six months. Okay? Right. Yeah, yeah. So it is something that's meant to be short term. Right, mm-hmm. and the idea with the cleanse, I do, the analogy I'll use is that I am cleaning out my house today. I'm going to take the broom and start sweeping. Right, mm-hmm. uh, it'll be. I mean, obviously, we can't go in there with a broom and clean out the toxins and so on from your body. But it's it's the analogy I'm saying. Right, and so you don't really need to go on a special diet. The only thing I will say, if you do need to go on a special diet, if you're normally consuming a bottle of wine a day. Mm-hmm. For the sake of your cleanse, just give it a, a bypass, okay? Yeah. You know what I mean? I always increase fruits and vegetables because the nice thing about fruits and vegetables, they have a lot of fiber, right? Yep. And also they have a lot of antioxidants, right? The fiber is good because it helps evacuate your bowels, right? And the antioxidants are good because they help quench free radicals that are generated during the cleansing process. The downside to all that, though, is that how much can you eat fruits and vegetable-wise, Right. Right. So, but you can, there are lots of fiber things you can get out there that will do the job. Right. To me, a mixture of fiber is better than a single type of fiber. Right. Because I know you can buy, the one that everybody knows is is psyllium. Yes. But some people have a problem with psyllium in in that it it makes them constipated. Usually a lot of people, if you have issues with, with any type of fiber product, I would say, drink a lot more water. I was just going to say that water seems like it would be 
helpful to the process. Oh, definitely, because you remember one of your ways of excreting toxins is through the kidneys. So if you increase your water intake, right, you just basically push a lot of those toxins out through the urine also, right? Mm -hmm. So and drinking the water makes a huge difference as far as the fiber content because the fiber absorbs water, right? Mm -hmm. And if you drink more water, the fiber doesn't get a chance to dry out. Right, and so that basically you put more water in, it helps bulk up the stool. Okay. Are there any conditions or medications that would contraindicate doing a cleanse like this? For most people, the answer is no, right? Obviously, I won't tell somebody who is in the hospital, hooked up to all sorts of monitors, they even think about doing a cleanse, okay? When I throw this out there, I am usually talking about people who are normally healthy. I mean, I, I know people think about if you're diabetic, etc. No, yeah. that's, you, you're okay. That's a long-term chronic issue, right? So any, if you have long-term chronic issues, it is not a, a reason to not do a cleanse. That makes a lot of sense. Time for one last question, and that is, is there an order in which you should do these cleanses? You mentioned the liver and the kidneys, etc. Like, wh- which order would you do it in? Usually, it's, there's no order per se, but I would do... Because it's ways of eliminating, there's, you can do the kidney and the colon at the same time as the liver. But there's really no need to put them in any particular order. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for having me on again, Jamie. For more information about Gordon's company, you can visit omegaalpha.ca. For great health and wellness interviews and articles, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss acceptance on The Tonic. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Are you stressed out, feeling down, having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, enhance your mood, and sleep better. Discover De-Stress, Merry Mind Omega, and Sleep 8. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. And for more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Tracy Sograti has an eclectic background in molecular biology, psychology, and nursing. She practices psychotherapy and yoga therapy and has over 20 years of experience in leading classes, workshops, and events. She believes that the tools of mindfulness pave the way for a deeply meaningful life at any stage. You can find her at sogratiyoga.com, Sograti Yoga on Facebook, or Tracy Sograti on Instagram. And she's a columnist for The Tonic Magazine. Happy New Year. Welcome back. How are you? I just want to give myself a whoop whoop for being a columnist. I'm excellent. Yeah. And your very first column was on acceptance, which we're going to talk about today, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite topics, honestly. So what do we mean when we talk about acceptance? What does that mean? 
Yeah, so, I mean, it can mean many things, but the definition that I'm going to give all the listeners today is the definition that comes out of something called acceptance and commitment therapy. And it's it's a model that I'm heavily invested in because the research shows that it consistently works. And in this case, acceptance is really the willingness, so I want you to listen to that, people, <laughs> the willingness to experience the present moment just as it is. And if we want to do this, we have to kind of, you know, do a couple of things at once. We have to relax our resistance to whatever is coming up in the present moment. And that's often associated with our preferences or our expectations about a situation. And this can also be thought of as sort of making contact with the present moment. And sometimes I think of that old movie E.T., you know, when the yep. fingers touch, right? Yeah. Making contact. So literally, I'll, uh, you know, if, if a client knows that image, it's like literally you have to make contact. You have to touch the present moment. And while you do that, you have to realize or recognize that you have a tendency when you don't want to make contact with the present moment to act defensively or to protect yourself. And so acceptance is about not acting out defensively and still acting effectively. Yeah. So it's pretty loaded. It is. So I've been sort of quasi-experimenting with presence or acceptance. Yeah. So it's never, I don't look backwards and I don't regret things that I've done. To me, that's never been my issue, but yeah. I'm always greatly concerned about the future. Like I'm yeah. always worried about what's next and what I have to do and whether it will work and whether it's doomed yeah. for failure because, you know, I'm a pessimistic person. So I'm, yeah. I'm always worried things aren't going to, and I'm very, very much trying to focus on the present. So this to is anchor. to anchor, yeah, to anchor, to anchor. Exactly. And you know, what you're talking about there, Jamie, is a tendency towards anxiety, mm-hmm. right? And yep. sometimes I call it anxious fantasy because you're kind of, it's like, a, it's a fantastical world in the future where everything is sort of more negatively, like the valence is like a little more negative. Yeah then how things might pan out. Yeah, and and just the practice, and it really is a practice and a process of just anchoring into the present moment can pull you out of that tendency. And when you do it enough, it becomes, becomes, it's like building a muscle, right? It becomes second nature to you. So what I've been trying to do, this is my little method, and it's, mm-hmm. I suppose it's built on narcissism, is, is in, a quiet, in a quiet moment, like when I'm walking my dog, I yeah. will try and name three things that I'm thankful for at that very moment. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, yeah. and that, I would even say the other thing that you're doing there is positive emotion priming. And there's great research for that, right? So noticing, savoring, and identifying the things that you're grateful for actually prime positive emotions in your psyche, and it actually improves your health. So I would say that that's awesome. And and even for your listeners, like if, we, if I want to riff off what you're doing there, noticing three things that you're grateful for. For some people, even that practice might seem like a big reach. And so say you're walking your dog, you could even just notice three things in the environment, yep. right? And it might be it might be the temperature of the air yeah. around your body. Yep. It might be noticing what your dog is sniffing, for example, because they sniff everything. And just, just so noticing those three things, it's literally that simple. But often what I notice with myself included is that you have to force yourself to do these simple little things until they become ingrained, right? Until they become second nature. Okay. So a moment ago, you talked about acceptance and commitment therapy. For, For somebody who doesn't know what that is, can you elaborate on that a bit? 
Yeah, yeah. So it's this is a big question, and I'm going to give you the simplest answer that I can. Okay. okay. So acceptance and commitment therapy is depathologizing. And so what that means is that this scientist, Steve Hayes, and, you know, researchers all over the world have come together and they've found that no matter what you're diagnosed with, or even if you're not diagnosed with anything and you just tend towards anxiety, there are six processes that all humans do that will either lead to suffering or the opposite of those processes will lead to, you know, contentment, fulfillment, purpose. Right. I would say happiness, but I think sometimes happiness is kind of like, you know, life isn't always happy, but contentment and purpose. And so the six processes of inflexibility, right? So the things that cause us to suffer are when we are stuck in the past or the future. So exactly like you just said, experiential avoidance. Okay. So when we avoid feeling things, which is really what we're talking about today, cognitive fusion. So we have a thought in our head and we believe that our thoughts and our feelings are facts. Mm -hmm. So that's called cognitive fusion. We fuse with them. The next one is attachment to a story about yourself that's very fixed, right? So seeing yourself from only one perspective. And the last two are inaction. So it could be inaction or impulsivity, right? So your behavior isn't guided by values and a lack of values clarity. So these are the the inflexible processes. And when you can develop psychological flexibility, which is acceptance, cognitive defusion, so perspective taking, making contact with the present moment, noticing yourself as an observer or coming up with or seeing different perspectives, taking committed action, even in the face of difficult circumstances, towards your values. And that means you have to know your values and you have to understand that values are like a, I guess, like a compass. So they're sort of dynamic. They change all the time and they're a guide for behavior. They're what allow you to make goals. Does that make sense? Yep. It's the underpinning. Um, yeah, it's the underpinning. Exactly. So for those who are still sort of murky on this, can you sort of give a tangible example? You did in the article mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of the process. Like, what's an example of yeah, how this of works? Yeah, of going through. Yeah, of going through acceptance and the process of it. And maybe yeah. maybe I'll put it together. So one common example that I see is divorce. Right? And, and yep. you know, if you're not married, it could be the end of a relationship as well. So when someone's going through a divorce, there's all kinds of conflicting emotions. There's grief. Sometimes there's shame. And, and sometimes that shame makes sense because uh, when we're going through conflict with another person and we are in distress, we can behave in ways that when we think about it afterwards, we might feel really embarrassed about yep. just because we were in distress. And, and that makes sense for all of us. But Oftentimes, those feelings are so intense and so painful that we want to avoid feeling them. Okay, so there's the experiential avoidance because we believe that if we think about those things, if we feel those feelings, we believe we become fused with the idea that we are a shameful person rather than recognizing that, okay, our behavior wasn't ideal, it wasn't guided by our values. And so in the avoidance of feeling the shame, the grief, the regret, which is all natural in a divorce, we instead unconsciously often try to protect ourselves from that. Now, how do we protect ourselves from feeling those really uncomfortable feelings? We generally will defend against the pain by attacking the other person, and it happens fast. Mm -hmm. So what the research now shows us is that emotions are 
the most important thing for people to get a handle on and to understand and that they are super fast, right? Like it's like it happens so fast that often we're at the end of a behavior before we look back and go, oh, man, like why did I do that? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So we will defend ourselves by attacking the other person and that behavior will then recreate the whole cycle of interaction that probably triggered the breakup. And the other person is doing the same thing. Often, right, right, yeah, and so in this way, we're we're sort of blocked by acting effectively, and I guess you know the other piece of your question was, well, okay, well, what's the process that what, that moves us into psychological flexibility if we if we look at the same example, yep, and in this case, right, the first step is to make contact with the present moment, like we talked about, and that means you know if I'm going through a divorce, well, it is going to be painful. And I'm going to make contact with the present moment by recognizing that emotions are in the body, right? So you tune into your body in the present moment and you notice the sensation. You know, your gut could be twisted. Your chest could be heavy. You might be gripping your teeth together, right? All of those things are happening and you just feel them. And then you start to notice the meaning you're making out of them. So it might be telling yourself this is unbearable, right? Well, if you believe that that's true, of course you're going to freak out, right? But what if you just observe, oh, I'm feeling so much grief and my mind is telling me that it's unbearable. And yet from another perspective, I'm still here. And I can accept that I'm telling myself it's unbearable because I don't want to feel it. That makes sense. And then the final step is that we have to choose to act in accordance to our values while staying present with the pain. So in the question of divorce, say, for example, there's children involved. You know, our value might be to be a strong and present parent. Well, in order to do that, I have to have a workable relationship with my ex-partner. Yep. So I need to be able to walk towards or move towards this person and actually resolve conflict quite peaceably in order to do that and still feel my feelings. That last part, that sounds like the hardest part, right? It's so hard, Jamie. It's so hard. And, you know, I I guess the other thing that I'll say is it, it is such a triumph. When people can practice, do this practice and actually do that, they walk away feeling so good about themselves because uh, you're just more resilient, you know, when you can, when you can start to do that. And it starts with little things. The process starts with little things. Makes total sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show and explaining that. Yeah, it was my absolute pleasure. That was Tracy Sograti. For more information about her, please visit SogratiYoga.com. For great health and wellness interviews and articles, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss what it means to say yes on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Pinnacon guides and mentors people to work through seemingly unbreakable barriers, whether it be creating quantum leaps in their business 
or exceeding personal goals. She helps people challenge the thoughts and beliefs that are holding them back. Then through extensive work, those thoughts and beliefs are replaced with ones which help to supercharge her client's growth. As a peak performance coach, Hina has been a student of the mind, human behavior, and human potential for almost two decades. And for more information, you can visit hinacon.ca. Welcome back to the show and Happy New Year, Hina. How are you? I am excellent. How are you? I have no complaints. That's good. Well, that's good because we covered complaints last year, <laughs> right? We did. We left it in the previous year. That was a good interview. I can't complain about it. So let's <laughs> let's talk about something else. What do you want to talk about in the new year? I think that if there was only one thing that you did, you know, a lot of people have made New Year's resolutions. Maybe they've already dropped their New Year's resolutions. But if there was just one thing that you decided that you were going to commit to this year, I would make this the thing. And that is be MW, and I'm not talking about the car, I'm talking about being my word. If you made a decision that you were going to commit to being your word always, and that was a standard that you were setting for yourself, your whole world is going to change, Jamie. Okay, I want to clarify, when you say your word, you mean like when you actually express that you're going to follow through on something to another individual? Or is this a word that you give to yourself? Like this year, I'm going to not nush after dinner, that type of thing. This is you following through on what you say so that your word matters. So if you and I were to meet somewhere Mm -hmm. next week, I would not, and you said yes, Mm -hmm. and I've said yes, I would not check in to see, are we still good? You know, because you have said yes, and I believe you are your word, and I am my word, so I will be there. This is what I mean. How many people check in the day before or a few hours before to say, are we still good? Does that still work for you? So am I only my word if something better comes along? Or many people will say yes to things that they don't have any intention of doing. I may say yes to meeting you next week. I don't have any intention of doing it. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Maybe I'm a bit of a people pleaser, but I'm already thinking the whole week of how I'm going to get out of it. This is so common, and people are managing their excuses. They are not their words. So when I say your word, I mean yes to your commitments, to others, and to yourself. Right. So, uh, how shall I put this? I am a unique individual. I have a very, very, very small circle of friends because I hold them to their word and I have no patience. Yeah, no, I, if somebody says they're going to do something, they better do it. Because when I say I'm going to do something, I can guarantee you that I'm going to do it. And I don't like broken plans and I don't like loosey goosey, which means there are fewer people who are going to put up with me. It's a strange way. Like, isn't that crazy to think? It just just is. You have a standard of allowing people to be their word and trusting that when people say something, they're going to do it, that that means that your circle is small because most people are spending time managing their excuses. Most people are living in a world of excuses. They say yes to things they never intend on following through with. And imagine how much simpler. So your life, that tells me, Jamie, that your life is actually pretty simple. And what I mean by that is you have eliminated a lot of back and forth, a lot of, I wonder if that person is going to show up. You've eliminated that for yourself and for others because you expect others like you to be their word. 
Well, again, it's a yin yang thing, right? Because what it means is there's only there's only so many people you can rely on like that, right? And also, you spend a lot more time in the initial planning because people understand if they're making a commitment vis-a-vis me, they're going to have to follow through. So you really have to really think about whether or not, yeah, are we going out for dinner that night? Are we going out for lunch? Are That's we doing right. this? Are we doing that? Yeah, well, if I'm doing it with Jamie, it means I am, which means they have to clear their schedule. I actually think it's a generational thing. My kids are constantly constantly telling me that they're going out on the weekend and their plans are loose. And then I'll witness them not following through, not because they don't want to go out or they it's because somebody's flaked on them, as they put it. Right. And I think for Gen Z and the millennials, there's a lot more loose planning. I think most people are like that. They just don't want the commitment. And it doesn't work for me, but it seems to work for most. Tina. I think this is something that most people do. It's all loose. Well, this is why I'm saying to your to your audience right now, if they only decided to do one thing and make a commitment this year, if they did this, their whole life would change. And people around them would change, just like people around you have changed. Yep. But what this also means is you've got to get really good at saying a two-letter word. Yep. Can you guess what it is? Uh, no. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was that you couldn't guess or you said the word. I know. You've I... got to be able to say no. Exactly. You've got to be able to say that, well, I keep my commitments, yeah. and I know I cannot make that. So I'm not going to say to you, yes, I can meet you for lunch next week when I know that I can't. And in fact, in my circle with my clients, they know that I don't do lunch. Yep. Me- I don't do lunch. I don't have time for like to do lunch. It's like, let's just have a phone call if we need to work neither, no, truthfully, truthfully, neither do I. And the interesting, like, I will say no very easily. It's It's interesting. Most people are put off by that, but I do not commit to things I can't follow through on ever because I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint anybody. And I think it reflects badly on me if, if I say I'm going to do something and then it doesn't work. I think the real issue is most of our lives are out of our control. We can only control our own little universe. And sometimes things happen that are outside your control. Totally. So here's the thing. When things happen that are outside of your control and you have said yes to something, you have committed to something, you clean it up immediately. That's another thing. People know that they can't go to something. And instead of cleaning it up immediately the week before, a few days before, they will wait until the very last minute at times because they don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation. We have really got to stop this because here's the thing. It's not only that you're not keeping your word to others, you are hearing yourself and you know what game you're playing. You can't count on you. You can't count on you now. So, okay, so I'm not that person, but if I were that person, how do you think you can affect change so that you're not not living up to your word? You make a decision that that's your standard and it's a part of your being. That being your word is something that's important to you and that you will start to say no to things. So you've got to be ready, which you don't have a problem with, that not everybody is going to love hearing no. Yeah. You're okay with that. But this is, this is kind of a muscle that others will have to start to develop. And what you have to understand also is that being clear is kind. I agree. Stringing someone along is not very kind. You know, I think it, how shall I put this? I think it takes a certain confidence in your own character to be able yeah. to say no. It's a tough thing to do. Yeah, like you're disappointing somebody in the moment. It is not a comfortable conversation to have sometimes. But when doing so, you're you're almost putting yourself on an island, right? Like you're saying, I kind of don't care what the fallout is about this. I have to be true to myself. I'm I'm going to do this 
this is what I've decided to do. For me, the benefit is those who know me know me very well, and they come to rely on my dependability, and they know if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So they come to me with their problems. They come to me, and they know exactly what they're going to get. I think that speaks to something. I think it's important to know exactly what you're going to get from somebody in a relationship that you have. Oh, and also, Jamie, your relationship to yourself. You're not conning yourself either. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, that's really important. And that's when you start to notice differences. And that's why I say this is a game changer in your life. Because you're not managing excuses. You believe what you're going to say. You're holding others to a standard as well. And I'll tell you something. At first, people may be a bit put off because they're not used to you saying no. But people appreciate it. That at the end of the day, what I've come to realize is that people appreciate it and it gives them unconscious permission to do the same. Some people don't know that you can say no. I think it's intrinsic to me. I wonder, like, do you see people actually being capable of making this change? Somebody who doesn't like having uncomfortable conversations actually being capable of saying no and sort of stepping up like that? Yes, I do. I do. And it it changes their life. What they connected to is who they are being. That they and they they feel a lot of pride in the fact that they are somebody that keeps their word. Just like you feel that for yourself and the standards that you hold, it absolutely can happen. It's a muscle that you have to develop, and you have to understand not everybody's going to be thrilled with it because they're just not used to it. They're used to you be always being there or acquiescing, but in the end, everything becomes simpler because you don't have to try to get out of things or you're not doing things you don't want to do. So when you are somewhere, and people must know this about you, Jamie, when you are somewhere, you really want to be there and you're thrilled to be there. 100%. I would say this. I think if you're doing this yourself, in other words, if you've decided that you're going to behave in this manner, the one thing that you have to keep in mind is, is that not everybody else has made that decision. And so you just because you're having these expectations of yourself doesn't mean that it's going to be reciprocal. Because that would, no, lead, that would lead to I disappointment. Would, true, but understand there's going to be an evening out, which means some people may drop out of your life. 100%. And others will come in as you have seen in your life. You know, and then you can recognize in certain people that they're never going to be anything more than casual acquaintances because you can't rely on them. To me, that's the cutoff for me. If somebody, yeah. you know, like if I enjoy spending time with somebody, if I know them, they're my friend, I, I suppose, but I don't want to spend a lot of time with them if, if there's this casual in and out. It's just, it doesn't work for me. And so I still value that person, but I recognize they're not reliable and I don't necessarily think of them on the same friend level as somebody else who I do have this relationship with. Exactly. And if you do want to start this, here's another easy in. If you can let people know, you could say, I'm saying no to this because I know I cannot make it. And I've made a commitment to be my word because I want, because I value our relationship and I want to be clear. That is you can a, let people know that you're doing this. I think that's a good idea. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately we're out of time. Oh. I know, I know. But I'm making this promise to you. We're going to have you back next month, okay? Thank you. I will be there. That's my commitment. And it's my, I'm a man of my word. It's going to happen. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jamie. For more information about Hina, please visit hinacon.ca. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. 
They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, my next guest has been writing for Tonic Magazine for over eight years. Since 2015, she's written the very popular cookbook review column, my wife, Naomi. Hi, sweetheart. How are you? I'm good. We're going to talk about baking because I know that's, you know, other than me, that's your first love. But we're, we're going to talk not just about one book, but just sort of the concept of trying to make baking healthy, if that's possible, because sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, right? Yes. We're going to talk about making it better to bake, whether that's better for you, easier to do. You know, if you can't do one, can't do the other, maybe you could do both, but let's talk about ways to make it just better. I think home baking is probably more healthy than store-bought. So like right away, we're probably, you know, with no preservatives, we're probably starting off on the right track, you know? That's my philosophy. All right. So where do you want to go? How do you want to start it? So just to kind of set the stage, here we are in January. People who do their resolutions are still still thinking that they're going to carry them out or they've got good intentions. But at the same time, it's, as I said, it's snowy outside. It's cold. Valentine's Day is coming up. Everybody wants comfort food. So what do, what do we do? We have to try to find some balance. It's a yin-yang thing. Like, People are going to have dessert, yep. one kind or another. So let's see if we can make dessert the best that we can make it. I guess that's what I'm trying to see. And, you know, and when we talk about better for you or what's healthy, you know, I appreciate that depends on the person and what their particular goals are or health concerns are. And it also changes over time. You know, what what was healthy 20, 30 years ago is seems to be different now in terms of fat sugar, etc. But, you know, here we are in 2023, and we're just going to go with that. You know, I know everything has a place. And today, we're going to talk about things that might be healthier or quicker. But I also know there's a place for fancy desserts. And if you want to do that, do it, you know, eat it in moderation, do it sometimes, that is okay. You know, everybody should do that. I was thinking about things that I've made lately, and I made croissants, you know, I made cinnamon rolls, I made this big fancy chocolate dessert for New Year's, and that's all fine, you know, because I don't make those all the time. That's a lie. You make them all the time, but I th- your point is well taken. I, I, I think... don't make those things all the time. No, you I don't d- make those things. They're neither easy or no, healthy. No, true. I know. They're just good. They are good. occasion things. And you know, the truth of the matter is, if I know you're making something like cinnamon buns... I'm going to make sure that I don't eat a lot of other desserts and I'm sort of, you know, like if I know I'm going to have your cinnamon, <laughs> that's a lie. that is also a lie. Uh, <laughs> fine. Touche. You know, I'm going to try and I'm going to try and not eat all the other stuff so that I can really enjoy what's good. And a good dessert is worth sort of, you know, undertaking that exercise so that, you know, you're enjoying it. There's no way to make the really good stuff healthier. So just have a smaller portion or don't eat as much of the other stuff around it, I guess, is one way to deal with it, right? Of course. Yes. However, there are some ways with certain recipes that we can cut back on some of the the demon foods, right? 
Yes, I think so. So here's a few things that I would suggest. Mm-hmm. One thing, sugar, you know, sugar, which is the enemy, but sugar is kind of what you need in a dessert one way or another. You can easily reduce the amount of sugar, though, in most desserts by a quarter, a third of the amount that the recipe says. Sometimes I'm, I'm quite shocked at how much sugar a recipe calls for. And I'll think, like, surely that is too much. And it is, because I'm still making a dessert and it's still sweet, even if I cut that sugar. You can't cut it necessarily in half or more because that will affect the texture of the dessert, you know, and how long it stays fresh. But you can definitely reduce the sugar in cookies, cakes, you know, pie fillings, and it will still taste sweet. So that's just one thing that you can do. You can also, you can substitute other sweeteners depending on what it is. So for example, if you're making, you know, oatmeal, like breakfast, overnight oats, smoothies, uh, you can use dates, bananas, agave, maple syrup, you know, other sweeteners than your basic processed sugar, if that's something you want to do. And that's no problem. I do that all the time. You just can't switch, you know, honey or agave for sugar in a cake that will affect the texture. So unless you're a recipe developer, I wouldn't suggest to do that. Mm -hmm. What about fat? Another thing, yes, fat used to be the enemy, you know, and everything was high sugar, no fiber, you know, low fat, and that wasn't good. But So that's not the enemy, but at the same time, it, of course, does have calories. And you can reduce some of the fat as well. So you can substitute if cake, let's say, calls for a cup of butter. You could reduce some of the butter and put in some applesauce or some moistness. You know, that's an old trick, and and it still does work. You can also use yogurt instead of sour cream, you know, creme fraiche, and and this will work too. You can use oil instead of butter. So if you're concerned about the type of fat or if you're vegan, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to use butter. You use oil, olive oil or another kind of oil or coconut oil, which adds some inherent sweetness. And in fact, oil is really good with cakes because it doesn't have the flavor of butter, but it adds a lot of tenderness and moistness. So it's it's a win if you're trying to deal with cholesterol or other fats. So fat is definitely something you can play with as well. Mm-hmm. I would mention salt as well, except in that I would say don't reduce the salt unless you really have to. Because when somebody tells me that they haven't put any salt in their dessert, I taste it and I think, yes, I can tell, like, because it doesn't taste as good. So salt really helps with desserts, even though some people find that surprising because it's, it's supposed to be sweet. But it brings out the flavors in desserts. So don't don't reduce the salt. Keep that And the last thing that I would mention on this is uh, spices, is that when you reduce the the sugar, you can increase the spices, like put more cinnamon in, add more vanilla, try other spices like cardamom, which is, you know, really good, or ginger, or even pepper, because they can add a lot to baked goods. Okay. So we talked about making the recipes better for you. Let's talk about the process a bit and, and making it easier. Right. So to your point about home desserts being, you know, inherently more healthy because they don't have preservatives, you might be more likely to make something instead of buy something if it's easy to put together. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of books out there that, you know, will help you do that. I've previously talked about a book called Snacking Cakes. And then there's a new book called Snackable Bakes, which is very similar to this one just came out in the past year by a person named Jessie Sheehan. And this one is, she calls 100 
easy peasy recipes, you know, again, no mixer, ingredients you're likely to have on hand, things like crusts that are made with melted butter that you just mix together, you know, which is less fussy, cakes that you just stir together without a mixer, they may even have oil, as I, as I mentioned, instead of butter, so there's no melting, there's no fussing, there's no whipping of things. And the stuff is good. We, we made the Rice Krispie treats, which are not healthy, but they were good and they were fast. And there's also like a pear sour cream snacking cake, cranberry vanilla buckle, even a pistachio chocolate kind of cinnamon rolls or her take on it, which she says takes 15 minutes to put together, which is surprising, yeah. but that's what she says. There's no yeast in them. They're just, it's a batter that's mixed together and then you put the filling, you roll it out, put the filling, roll it up, bake it in a muffin tin. So, you know, if you, if you like sweets and you don't have a lot of time, something to check out. Mm-hmm. There's another book that I, that I bought called What's for Dessert by Claire Saffitz. And she had a previous book, which was kind of fussy, but this one is more about faster, easier recipes. And in fact, she has a matrix, which sets out, you know, the time, the amount of time it's going to take to complete a recipe on one axis, and then the complexity of the recipe on another axis. And, you know, I, I like a good matrix. And <laughs> you can definitely see that, do you have five minutes or do you have 12 hours? And even the recipes, of course, that are 12 hours. It's not 12 hours of work. It's just that, you know, it might have to sit overnight or something like that. So it's helpful when they give you that kind of guidance. And, you know, when you think about it, if you can mix something, bake it and eat it within one hour, that's pretty good. And she's got like chocolate souffles, molten chocolate, olive oil cakes, lots of things that would be a good choice for Valentine's Day, especially if you don't have a lot of time. Okay, we have time for one last book. All right. Well, let me just mention Small Batch Bakes, which I have mentioned previously, and I wrote about it for the recent issue of Tonic. If you're trying to control portion size, you can always make less. You know, mm-hmm. So don't make 12 cookies if you don't want to have a whole bunch of extra cookies. So this book, Small Batch Bakes, has recipes for one to six people, and it's just smaller, smaller batches. Recipes are great liked everything that I made. Everything has been excellent. The recipes also range in complexity. So some things are easy, some things are more complicated, but it's all good and it's all uh, smaller batches. So you can, you know, mix together a cinnamon roll cake, which is very fast. I made caramelized banana pudding and that was really good. And a make-ahead dessert, which is also key for you know, that time re- management. That recipe is Jamie approved, that last one. <laughs> yes. Yep. yes. I've made two banana puddings. Both were make ahead. Both are good. One from Small Batch Bakes and then one from What's for Dessert. And, you know, they're, if you're trying to plan, you don't have a lot of time. You know, sometimes it's helpful to make something the night before and then not have to deal with it. So those are good too. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Tracy Sograti, Hina Khan, and Naomi Bussin. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The January-February issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto west of Victoria Park. 
or you can visit our website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.